0: This story contains sensitive and disturbing details. It's not suitable
1: for children. Hi, my name is Cheryl. I grew up down the street from Christine Mihalich. I still remember the day she disappeared, what I was doing. I used to pass her every day, her coming home from elementary school and me from the middle school and suddenly she wasn't there anymore. It really shook our small little community. And that's when we started locking our doors and stuff. I think this is the reason I've become such an overprotective mother. My daughter is 20 now, and I still say, watch your surroundings. Watch that no one's following you, because I know it could have happened to any of us. We went to the same stores as Christina did that day she was kidnapped. So that's all
2: I can tell you about it. Okay, thank you.
0: That was Michigan native Cheryl Lamb. She called us to share her memory from that time, and we're hoping that you will as well. How did the Oakland County Child Killer impact your life? Call us and leave a message at 313-223-2237.
2: Some of these volunteers have been here since 5.30 this morning, answering the phones, which ring every three seconds. And each time the phones ring, they hope that it will be a tip that will lead to the capture of the child killer.
0: Welcome back to Shattered. But
3: in just a few short seconds, it will denote 1977 in
4: 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, Happy 1977! As
0: 1976 came to a close, police were looking for a killer or killers of five children. Cynthia Cadju, Sheila Srock, Jane Louise Allen, Mark Stebbins, and Jill Robinson. Media reports would talk about all of the murders, but the police were firm at this point in time that the murders did not appear to be linked. On January 2, 1977, another child was abducted from Oakland County. This time it was 10-year-old Christine Mahalik, who lived in Berkeley a small town in Southern Oakland County.
1: On January 2nd, Christine calls her mother and asks if she can go up to buy uh, a Teen Beat magazine, because Donnie and Marie Osmond were her favorite um, duo and they were on the cover.
0: Former Detroit news reporter, Marnie Keenan has written a book about the child killings.
1: She walked up to buy a magazine and a candy bar and the 7-Eleven cash register person remembers her buying it.
5: Uh, We're in Berkeley, Michigan, a small little Southern Oakland County town along 12 Mile Road where Christine Mihalik was living at the time of her abduction in January 2nd, 1977.
0: Investigator Corey Williams grew up in Berkeley, not far away from Christine Mihalik.
5: I was 15 years old at the time. I lived right up the street.
0: Corey and I are talking about 100 feet away from 12 Mile Road. This is the area police believe Christine was abducted from.
5: Used to walk down 12 Mile to Berkeley High School every day, right by the 7-Eleven and Hartfields Lanes where we're at right now. Um, Christine, at the time of her abduction that, that Sunday afternoon, had walked, her mom allowed her to walk to the 7-Eleven. She wanted to get a magazine and some candy. And it was one of the first or second times her mom allowed her, she was 10 years old, allowed her to go on her own up to the store. And she had, the mom had told her to go to the light at Tyler Cross, down to 7-Eleven and right back.
1: She walked out of the 7-Eleven, never made it home and vanished.
0: Christine was the second girl in a two week span who seemingly disappeared? Jill Robinson's murder was still in everybody's minds.
2: The money is being used for a reward for apprehensions of persons or persons who are holding Christine. If it's not used within a year, if anyone should ask, the money will be turned over to the city of Berkeley for crime prevention against children in the city of Berkeley. And this, our this is Chris's family's wishes. Okay. Thank you very much, and good luck.
0: Volunteers took to the streets to search for Christine and collect money.
3: Thank you very much.
0: She was missing for one day, two, three. Anxiety would only grow.
3: I think it's worthwhile. We have to find the girl.
0: You're hearing a volunteer who wanted to help. With a coffee can that was wrapped with a picture of Christine, he collected money.
3: We need information to find the girl. Uh, No matter what the situation is, and uh, that's why I'm here. I think
6: this is the only way we can do it.
2: I'm Erica McAvoy, and Christine Mihalik which is my sister.
0: You remember when she went missing?
2: Um, I only have one memory that I recall from when she went missing, and it would have been um, my grandmother and I were laying in bed watching TV, and I remember seeing the news flash coming up with her picture in terms of missing and, and the news channels asking if anyone had seen her. And I remember asking her you know, why is Chris's picture on TV? I couldn't, I couldn't figure that out. And I'm sure my parents probably did not tell me essentially you know, what was happening. And if they did, it, it certainly didn't recollect in my thoughts in terms of what was happening in terms of the scenario. And then I think it would have been a couple of nights later, um, my granddad and my uncle um, had loaded up. They had weapons and they were going out and they were looking for her in the middle of the night.
0: Erica, Christine's sister, was only three, almost four, when this all happened.
2: Clueless at that age. I could not imagine being my parents and living through that hell.
0: That hell came on the heels of the grisly discovery of Jill Robinson's body on the side of the highway. Christine was last seen four blocks away from her house on a busy street. She was potentially lured to the back side of the buildings, which lined 12 Mile Road, where it was common for kids to walk. Here's Corey Williams again. You
5: know, as a detective, I find it hard to believe that maybe she was, Christine was grabbed on 12 Mile Road. There were, would have been a lot of witnesses. And being that I used to walk through this alley behind the bowling alley here as a kid, and it's kind of uh, off the beaten path, I always wondered if maybe she was grabbed in this parking lot in this structure back here
0: on the way to her home. Corey and I are chatting in the parking lot of Hartfield Lanes. The lot here is covered. It has a flat roof, and it reaches pretty far back. It's midday when we're there, and I realized that if you wanted to be hidden back here, you easily could be. Police admitted three days into the search that similarities between Chris's disappearance and Jill Robinson's were troubling. Deborah. Christine's mother was quoted in the Detroit Free Press, saying, quote, they keep asking when Chris is coming home, end quote. And she's talking about her six and eight year old sons.
3: It will be a week tomorrow since Christine Mahalik disappeared while coming home from this store. In those six days, the community has come to realize that a missing child in this area is not merely the problem of the parents. Most of those out collecting funds today have families also
0: a week would come and go.
1: Deborah Jarvis calls all of Christine's friends. Uh, She calls her father, which is Christine's grandfather, whose name is Bill Bell. And one of Bill Bell's very good friends was Lee Williams, Detective Corey Williams' father, who was also a, a Berkeley cop. And he called and said, Christine is missing, and by this time they knew. They knew there was a predator out there.
5: Uh, My dad, uh, I'm not sure at that point if Christine's mom, I think the police had already been contacted and talked to. Um, I think they wanted to talk to my dad because they knew he had been a detective for many, many years, so he met with them. My dad since passed away in 1999. I I never got to really talk to him about this case. I, I wasn't working it yet.
0: 17 days passed, 18. So Christine Mihalik
5: was uh, missing for 19 days, later found at uh, Bruce Lane in Franklin, Michigan, um, which 13 in Telegraph area, dumped in the snow, and uh, um, I believe a mailman spotted her body that day. She was found.
1: Christine was kept for 19 days. I thought it was just so poignant that her mom said, Deborah Jarvis said, the reason she was kept for 19 days is because they so enjoyed her company because she was such a sweet kid.
0: Christine's sister, Erica McAvoy.
2: It's just a place that you can't go and think about. Um, where she would have been for 19 days and what she would have gone through. Um, I just simply I can't go there.
1: And by now, police know they have a child serial killer on their hands, so they form a task force.
0: When the murders were happening, the county prosecutor of Oakland County was Elbrooks Brooks Patterson. Today, he's the county executive.
4: Uh, I went to the last couple of funerals because I I just felt for the families, and I took my wife along. (laughs) She cried harder than anybody else. So uh, it it, it, it felt helpless. And uh, my job as the chief law enforcement officer of Wilkins County uh, was to get this case moving. The police went to things like um, palm readers and psychics and and an attempt to to, uh, use any uh, investigative tool that was out there person don't believe in psychics, but they brought him in. And uh, so I, they, the normal police procedures were always ongoing. We're checking out all the leads and the tips and so forth.
0: January twenty-second, 1977. One day after a mailman found Christine's body in the snow, Brooks Patterson made an announcement.
3: This morning, in the Southfield Police Department, a task force was formulated... There were approximately 35 detectives from the following departments participating, Troy, Ferndale, Southfield, Berkeley, Royal Oak, Bloomfield Township, Birmingham, Oak Park, Franklin, Oakland County Prosecutor's Office, Oakland County Sheriff's Department, Michigan State Police, and the FBI. These 35 investigators from those agencies have formed a task force primarily to investigate and solve the Mihalic Homicide.
0: The task force, I've seen a lot of people say um, that it was the biggest effort, especially at that point, that they'd ever seen. Cops used to come in on their days off to try to we were getting so
4: many tips, we just couldn't handle them in the normal routine. So they came in on a day off and, and worked the case. Yeah, you're right, it was a big task force. Departments where children had been taken from within those cities, they assigned people, the state police were, were in charge, the sheriff's department was there, uh, and of course, you know, at some point in time, uh, I think uh, every law enforcement agency in Oakland County sent somebody in to the task force.
0: The police in Oakland County were swarming, with more municipalities, people, and patrols than ever before. The investigation was on the highest alert. In the Wednesday, January 26th edition of the Detroit Free Press, two Wayne State psychiatry professors chimed in on the killer. Dr. Emmanuel Tane said, quote, killers of this kind invariably continue until caught, end quote. And Dr. Bruce Danto echoed that statement. And then he added, quote, he'll be caught and he'll arrange it himself. His own inner conflicts will lead him to make an important slip, but he won't even realize it, end quote. And if I can add something here, WJR News Director Dick Hafner.
6: While this investigation was going on, it became a large, large state police-led task force investigation, the largest such investigation that had ever occurred in America up until then. Uh, You had local law enforcement bickering and, uh, and, and squabbling with each other. There was a constant fight between the Oakland County prosecutor, L. Brooks Patterson, a law enforcement, law and order type of guy and the Oakland County Sheriff, Johanna Spreen, who was a constant critic of Patterson up until now. And then when this investigation was going on, uh, their little war became even worse. And each one was uh, taking verbal shots at the other. And as they did, little pieces of information about the investigation would come out. For example, uh, Sheriff Spreen pointed out that uh, the police were giving out information which revealed that the bodies of the first three children were clean. The crime scene, even though the crime scene was was bloody in a couple of occasions, the crime scene was otherwise clean of clues, fingerprints, hair, any other
0: pieces of information that the police could gather. Even though police had allegedly banded together to create a unified task force, Many thought they were working against each other from the beginning, and while the verbal shots and little war was going on, the killer struck again, but this time he crossed a line he hadn't before. We'll be right back. Drop bodies in Southfield, Franklin, Troy, uh, you know, so all of these departments are involved and have a definite interest in resolving this, this crime, these many crimes, and they would be contributing their top investigative people to this task force.
1: So now police know they have a serial child killer on their hands, and they organized the largest manhunt in U.S. history at the time. Uh, they create a task force and uh, set up shop in abandoned school, elementary school.
0: Two months would pass. All three
3: of his siblings remember me telling Tim that if anybody tried to pick
0: him up, he should drop everything he had, run as fast as he could, and scream. That's Barry King, father of 11 year old Timmy King. Their family lived in Birmingham. Timmy was the youngest of four. He had two older brothers, Mark and Chris, and a sister, Kathy. But on Wednesday, March 16th, 1977, the full house would empty out. So Chris went to babysit.
1: Uh, Kathy was on her way to go see Jerry Lewis in concert.
3: Mark had to lead in the ninth grade play up here and they wanted him to come up
0: for that.
1: Barry and Marion were with a client having dinner there.
0: Tim would ask his sister Kathy for a favor before she left.
1: Tim asked Kathy if he could go up to Hunter Maple Pharmacy, which is a block and a half away, uh, to get a candy bar. And she said yes. She gave him 30 cents. He didn't want to use his own money because he was saving up for a light blue running tracksuit. And he took his skateboard and went up there and
0: was never seen again. 17-year-old Kathy told police that she saw Timmy at 8.15 Wednesday night. Amy Walters, a clerk at the Hunter Maple Pharmacy, said she sold Tim a candy bar and saw him exit the store through the back door, which led to a darkened parking lot. Meanwhile, about 350 feet away from the Hunter Maple Pharmacy, Timmy's father Barry and mother Marion were at Peabody's restaurant for dinner. I would guess that inherently in that situation, uh, that there's a a guilt that comes with it, even though that you, you don't really deserve any guilt, you don't deserve to feel that way. But did you, you were out having dinner, did you feel like, man, I should have been home for some reason? Everyone always says that, I should have been there.
3: No, because sometime shortly before that, I came home one night and my wife was in bed. And I said, what's the matter? She said, well, I was at the doctor's office. He thought my blood pressure was so high that his machine was broken and he sent me to the hospital. So I just made a mental effort to get her out to alone and that was the principal purpose. We were out to dinner. The key to Timothy King's disappearance is still the rear door here
0: at the Hunter Maple Pharmacy. This is where the youngster was last seen leaving at 8.30 Wednesday night, and authorities are saying that somebody must have seen something that evening, and they're asking people to come forward. So we're standing here, basically in the shadow of the Birmingham water tower, um, which is probably the biggest landmark in Birmingham and we're at the back door of what is Kroger now, but this used to be the Hunter Maple Pharmacy and this back lot where we're at right now, which is off the main road um, is actually the last place that a witness saw Timmy King alive.
1: One of the most tragic things I think about this case and I'll get back to, to Tim is the, you know, fear was and panic was so pervasive that Um, Once a kid was snatched, all you could think about was the unthinkable. What was going on, and, and, and while you dreaded going to the mailbox and picking up the newspaper for fear of seeing a blazing headline that said, Body found. At the same time, the clock was ticking and you knew that these kids were going through something horrible.
4: Age 11, 4 feet, 63 pounds. Hair brown, eyes brown,
3: 3,400. This is KHJU, portable. the time is 11.31 hours. Somebody from television came to me, and I just thought I was talking to Tim. I don't remember whether that was my idea or somebody
0: else's, but I just wanted Tim to know we wanted him back. March 18th, 1977. Two days after Timmy's abduction, Barry King, his father, makes a plea on local television.
3: Well, I want to say hi to Tim. Uh, we love you, Tim. God bless you. Uh, stay tough. I have one other statement to those persons or person who may be with Tim... Uh, I don't know if you have children or if you want to have some, but please treat Tim the same way you would your own kid. Uh, Talk to him. He's a talkative
6: kid if you've spent some time with him.
0: Timmy's mother, Marion, would write a letter to a local newspaper in which she begged Tim to be released so he could enjoy his favorite meal with his family. In one of the
6: tearful requests to the killer, Mrs. King mentioned that uh, Timothy liked Kentucky fried chicken. That was his favorite meal. And she was looking forward to the time when he would be released and would come home and she would
0: get him some chicken. Tim's captor or captors weren't compelled by the family's heartfelt pleas. I I anticipated that what was going to happen, happened. On the next, Shattered.
4: There were some marks for binding of the hands and feet, yes.
3: And I'm convinced to this day that when Timmy was kidnapped, he knew what was going to happen to him. And as an 11-year-old kid, there was nothing he could do about it. And that's the aggravating part of the murder to me. The most important aspect is the
6: investigation and get this animal off the street. And let none of us ever forget the killer or killers of little Tim and the other little children are still out there. Waiting to do it all over again.
0: I want to thank Cheryl Lamb for her story, Detective Corey Williams and Marty Keenan for their time, Erica McAvoy and the Mihalik family, Brooks Patterson, Dick Hafner, and of course Barry King and his family who keep fighting for justice. Again, guys, investigators are asking that you call the tip line if you have any information about the case. Please call 833-784-9425. If you have your own personal story about the Oakland County child killer and how it may have affected your life, please call us at 313-223-2237. Leave us a message. We can also be found by searching Shattered Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. A special thanks goes out to Anastasia Klimovitz, Tad Davis, and Joe Prince for their help with interviews, Zach Rosen, who helps edit the show, the Walter P. Ruther Library at Wayne State, and Mary Wallace, Dave Birch, who made it possible to record all of the film audio, special thanks to Kelly Allen for her help, and additional thanks to Kevin Dietz for all of his help with the story. Our team also produced a five-part docuseries on this story, so if you want to see the old footage, you can find all of that and more at ShatteredPodcast.com. Until next time.